So today um, we have a message from Dave Day. So Dave is uh, uh, English. He lives in Great Britain. Uh, he's what we call our apostolic link. If that doesn't mean anything to you, then um, all I can tell you, he's like a mentor to the leaders and a good friend. Uh, he loves God and he loves us and he's been walking with us for, what, 20 years? 30, 30 years. Wow. Um, and you know, I, I don't know, you, you don't know this, but I talk with him one to two times a month and I find it every time it's, uh, it's encouraging, it's insightful, it's helpful, um, and often reassuring, uh, especially when I'm thinking the same thing he is, and I feel like, oh, okay. So He's been doing ministry a lot longer than I have, uh, so I really appreciate him and his perspective. And in the past, he would visit us once in a while, but um, health issues and COVID has prevented that. We're hoping there might be an opportunity for that sometime in the future. Um, but he's going to pick up and kind of finish up Nehemiah. I want to give you my overview of where we've been really quickly. My, my uh, sad summary, call it that, all right? I'm sure I'm going to miss a bunch of things. So, but you know, Nehemiah starts off with a report of the sad state of Jerusalem and a passionate plea to God to restore its glory and, the, and, his, and his glory. That's Nehemiah praying. You find out he's a man with passion who's familiar with prayer and dependent on God. And we also note that the glory of Jerusalem was not just about God, but also about the people of Israel, a desire to reestablish and even to keep up a promise that God had made. Um, this is 140 years after they had been sent into exile, so it's about twice as long as they had been told. And even though some of the work had already been done, the temple had been rebuilt, uh, and there was an attempt at one time to rebuild the wall, it, it, it hadn't happened um, and even the king, this current king, was against it. He'd actually had them stop the work. But we saw, we see Nehemiah, after prayer, um, really do a faithful and gutsy move. He kind of goes before the king and shares his heart, right? Um, asking the king to change his heart and allow Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And God gives Nehemiah favor. Right? And we see the king's heart change. And he allows Jerusalem to be built. And even more than that, he provides Nehemiah with just about everything he needs. Not the labor, but but the resources um, the, and safe passage and even protection. He sends soldiers with him. And then we see Nehemiah get there and he walks around the walls and he sees the state they're in, which is pretty sad. A lot of it was just rubble. It had been burnt and destroyed. But he, he uh, has faith and so he calls the people together um, to rebuild the wall and restore the glory of Israel and Jerusalem. Um, but they face opposition, right? They face opposition from the outside. Other uh, uh, leaders in the area who don't want them to rebuild because they're afraid of what it will mean. And of course, from the inside as well, which is what Scott talked about last week, when we see some of the leaders and the people with power abusing those without. Um, um, and that's kind of um, where we come to today. The, the wall is finally finished and they're going to dedicate it to the Lord. Um, and I just want to make this note, and we see this. This isn't just true about Nehemiah. It's true everywhere. It's important to recognize this. There's always mixed motives, right, and mixed outcomes. You know, Nehemiah's desire to rebuild the wall wasn't just for the glory of God. It was for the glory of his people. That wasn't a bad thing, but there wasn't, it wasn't, a, I'm, I'm not sure it's exactly what God had wanted. Um, we also see that they didn't do a great job at welcoming and showing hospitality to strangers or foreigners. Um, 
And uh, loving their neighbor was a difficult thing for them. They weren't really following the commandments of the Lord, even though they were trying very hard to love God in the best way they knew. Um, but even then, they were struggling with that. As we see in the end, some of them seeking profit over righteousness, not caring for their own people. And then the spoiler is, we learned this in the first lesson, so kind of the story doesn't end very well, right? There is no happy ending for Nehemiah. <laughs> Uh, in the end, uh, the, glory, the wall is rebuilt, but the glory of Jerusalem is not restored and God does not return to the city. And I feel like for us, we're hoping that there's a lot we can learn from the book. Uh, um, I think we have a difference now. We know that the glory of God resides in all of us, in Jesus. So we're not waiting for his glory to return. But we can learn a lot about the need to pray and trust God as Nehemiah did and have faith um, to do the hard things, to ask the hard questions, to realize that we will face opposition, to recognize that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, right? Um, that rage war in our culture, all around us, and even at times within ourselves. And the need to recognize that, that we, we all have rubble in our lives. Um, I like that uh, Linda brought that up. Uh, not just alone, but even together, and the solution um, for that is found in relationship. Uh, it's not by trying harder or working harder. It's found in relationship and loving each other and loving God more. So let's see what God has to Dave has to say through um, God has to say through Dave, and um, I've got to get that one right. Um, and um, see so he can help us kind of close out this series. And then when we're when he's done, I'll come back up and we'll spend some time praying. Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. I've really enjoyed joining with you as often as I can during this unusual time. I've greatly appreciated your journey through Nehemiah. I feel that what Scott, Peter and Linda have said have been wise and helpful. And I've loved the fact that you started off by saying, you know, with all that was happening with Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, etc., there were faults at the end. What I'm finding is that there are many, many churches in the UK, and I'm sure further afield, who've started to look at Nehemiah. In fact, there's a couple of other churches I know where they've asked me to speak on, on the same subject. Because there's a sense of, it's a new day, it's a new dawn. Walter Brueggemann, who I know some of you like very much and appreciate, and I wholeheartedly recommend any of his books. Um, some of you are, are studying the prophetic imagination. In his book on the Psalms, he says that the Psalms move from a place of orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Or if you like, from a place of construction to deconstruction to reconstruction. And it would appear to me that that's where we're all at. From a settled, secure place, suddenly COVID happened and everything has been shaken. And we're longing forward, starting to look forward to the time where there can be a reorientation. Now, some churches I know say, we just need to get back to normal, back to where we were before COVID. And I don't agree with that wholeheartedly because I think we must have learned some lessons during COVID. Lessons in how we relate, lessons about how we communicate, lessons about what is essential to the life of a church. And so as we move to a sense of reorientation, it is a very important time. I know many churches 
who have been challenged because they've lost numbers during the time for all sorts of reasons um, many churches I know were surprised by how many more people access what they did on a Sunday online and then when everybody came back the numbers weren't as good and sadly in many cases their fear is driven out of finance rather than how can we stay connected with those that God has given us but it has been an unusual time and Nehemiah is somebody who had heard of the construction that was Jerusalem he saw the deconstruction and wanted to reconstruct so he started to build build the walls and as Peter was saying a couple of weeks ago the building the walls caused the enemy real frustration and they criticized it opposition they didn't want the walls built but what I love in chapter 6 here were walls completed 52 days record time and yet not um, a rush job a very uh, good job uh, in quickly done but it says in chapter 6 verse 2 that I completed the wall and there was not a gap within it he built walls without gaps and that infuriated the enemy and that verse has been quite a challenge to me over the years I felt God has said to me a few times what am I building in the life of church or in my individual life and are there gaps there because what we know is that when there's a gap in the wall we're vulnerable we were brought up on old history films uh, medieval films where the enemy would attack a castle or a fort or something and what they always did they looked for a gap they looked for a weakness in the wall and that's where they would bombard if they could attack that weakness and the weakness grew they would eventually get access to a city and here's the enemy looking at Nehemiah and they don't see access into the life of the city and it frustrates them it angers them and it increases their um, opposition but it also gives them fresh ways of expressing that opposition so my question today and my question for myself is how can I build something that is without gaps in the wall corporately um, I know sadly as many of you do the pain of divided church how can I build church where there's not that division someone once said the basic meaning of division is two visions how can I make sure I'm building with those who've got the same heart and vision a couple of weeks ago Peter uh, read out the who you were as FCBC as I feel very much a part if I say who we are it's because I feel a part of you uh, but he read it out and when he read it I thought that is great those are the people I want to be with I just managed to knock the screen over never mind uh, so I thought well that's there's a clear sense of vision there now vision becomes quite an issue in church I've heard in FCBC as every other church people say we don't know what the vision of the church is and I wonder about that sometimes because um, it's almost elusive because vision is intangible some years ago we spent the first six weeks of the year spelling out the vision of the church 
um, different leaders did. I felt it was a great time. And they expressed passion and heart and significance and strategy. And yet within a couple of weeks, people were saying, what's the vision of the church? And sometimes we almost get locked. This church has got no vision. Can I take it down to the bare roots? To me, if as individuals we say, God has called us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind and strength and our neighbours as ourselves, and God calls us to go into the whole world preaching disciples, sorry, preaching the gospel, making disciples of nation. To me, if we can grasp that, love that and live in that, then vision is just how do we outwork who we are? How do we outwork it in the context where God has put us? How do we live it out in the corner of region and park? How do we live it out when we're so close to students and the triangle and other areas? We can struggle over vision, but vision is really when, together with my brothers and sisters, we're moving forward to a common goal because we've got the same heart. And if we could increasingly embrace that which Peter said is who FCBC is, then I think uh, our vision would be clear. Also, um, something that causes gaps in the wall is when there is relational fracture. Again, like you, I've seen many churches break down. And sometimes it's been over theology, not often. Sometimes it's been over style and practice. But more often than not, I've seen a breakdown in church has been caused by relationship, either a power struggle, either misunderstanding, either people uh, rejecting those who are old or not giving space to those who are young, but it's often relational rather than anything else. In Paul's picture of the church in Ephesians chapter 2, he says the church is like a temple. And he says, we are living stones being built together. And in what God is building in FCBC, he's joined you by a cement of love and relationship and the Holy Spirit to those you're with. Paul, on several occasions, he highlights relational breakdown. Jesus was quite clear. Look, if someone, if you've got anything against somebody, go to them, sort it out. Because relationally, uh, we will be bound together in a healthy way. My basic bottom line feeling is a church will be no stronger than the relationships that undergird it. Obviously, our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other. How can we live honouring one another, releasing one another, listening to one another? And if you read through the New Testament, Time and time again, it just mentions the words one another, care for, pray for, love, admonish, etc. If we can live that sort of corporate life together, there is no gap in the walls. But something else that I think causes gaps in the world, in the wall, is how, how do we cope when people differ? Now, one thing I do love about FCBC is that you've got people who have for whom different things are different priorities. Just for example, the LGBT issue. Now for some of you I know, you've had to face it at a very personal family level. And that has shaped your approach and your understanding. 
for those who haven't had that journey, they, they almost seem not on the same page. There will be differences. There'll be differences to, some people will say, you know, mission is what we need, we need to get out amongst the students. Others will say, we just need to exercise the presence of God. Another thing that I like about FCBC is you've been shaped very much by um, the whole Jewish understanding, approach and expression. And that is a major thing I know for some of you, which has brought great richness in. Others have not had that background and experience. So there'll be lots of things where if we're not careful, we, we might differ. But a strong church would be a church that differs well. I've seen it probably more in the States than in the UK, but you can differ over politics. And yet what I greatly appreciated hearing about was how before elections you've had a sort of open mic where people can disagree and can be accepted with their different perspectives. And I think if we can be big enough to uh, acknowledge that we can accept people with different perspectives, they might change, you might change, we all might change because as Paul says, our knowledge is partial. And as we learn together, learn from each other, so the wall gets strengthened. So corporately, build a wall without gaps. But I know for us as individuals, there's an important lesson here. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, it says that like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who has no control over their spirit. And the image you get is of a person vulnerable, exposed. A city with walls broken down, that's our cooker clock. We have a cooker clock every hour and every time I do a recording, I think I must avoid the hour and then I forget. So that was our cooker clock. Um, but the cooker clock has made me lose my train of thought. So how do we build individually? Because like a sit city with its walls broken down is the person who's lost control of their spirit. Now, how can I make sure I've got control of my spirit? What causes my spirit to get out of control are things like tiredness, stress, deliberate negative choices, maybe um, a history of rejection and hurt that we've never been able to overcome. And the challenge that I have is how can I make sure that with whatever I carry, I won't let the city walls be broken down? Now, Linda was saying a couple of weeks ago that we all carry rubble, and that's true. We've got baggage, we've got rubble, we've got issues, whatever we want to call it. And I need to be careful to make sure that those are being dealt with, because the rubble is what the enemy goes for. The rubble is the vulnerable point. And how can I build up myself and be built up by others in a way that the rubble starts to come together into something that is strong? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul says, and it's a really wise and simple thing, he said, don't go to bed angry. And I think that's an important lesson for all of us. If any of us go to bed angry, it, it's not good. But he says, um, don't give the Satan that foothold. And there'll be certain things in my life and your life where 
I almost give the enemy a foothold, which might be going to be angry, which might be I choose to watch or read um, or look at something that is harmful. I choose to entertain a strain of thought that isn't going to build me up. How can I make sure that the enemy does not have a foothold in me? Because if he does, then he's got access to, to my walls. Sometimes I think we have to take stock and give daily attention to what is my life, what am I building, is what I'm doing, reading, seeing helpful. Sometimes too, um, we aren't aware of gaps in our own walls. We live about 10 yards from our neighbours, they're just through a window there, and we can see parts of their roof that they can't see uh, because of how their house is positioned. We've got a good vantage point of a certain area of their roof, but they can never see it. And there have been times when we've had to say to them, hey Tom, uh, did you know you've got a tile that's loose? And if you don't deal with it, you'll get rain coming in. There will be issues in your life and my life where we need those around us who can point them out. I'm so grateful that there are people who at times in the past have come to me and said, Dave, do you realise that when you do this, people think that? Do you realise that you can appear like this or like that? And I've not always liked it when they've said it, but what I do know is that people who've said it to me are friends, people I'm joined to, cemented to, who not only will say it, but if need be will say, can we help you get through it? If you're the sort of person who loves pointing out people's faults, this is not for you. But if you're close to somebody and you see a weakness, deal with it. You know, in Matthew, Jesus says, if if you're out of sorts, if your brother sinned against you, go to him, talk it through. And sometimes for each one of us, the gaps in our walls will be in, enlarged if we don't allow people to actually speak into our lives. But people who love us, people who care for us, people who will help us journey through it. You see, the walls were built so quickly because each person took responsibility for their part of the wall. We take responsibility for our lives. One thing I learned many years ago in Hebrews, it says that obey your leaders and submit to them because they take care of you. They watch over you. And I felt I've got to take responsibility for everybody. But I very soon realised I can only take responsibility for people taking responsibility for themselves. You and I have got a responsibility for our lives and yes it might be a church context where there are elders there's a home group there that there's some structure where people can help us in that but if i'm struggling i can't blame the church or the church leaders if i'm struggling i am responsible and the whole story of the prodigal son is there came a time when he took responsibility and he said i shouldn't be living like this but until he took that responsibility for himself he was vulnerable. Let's make sure that we take responsibility for ourselves, for our own city walls. And if we need help, ask for it. And if people lovingly point out help, let's get the prayer, let's get the process going to come through it.
let's make sure we build lives with integrity and without gaps. What we do see is that um, they built the walls, but the city gates weren't in. And that was a corporate thing. Each person, each family took responsibility for their bit of the wall. But when it came to the big gates, it took more. And the gates speak of so much, don't they? They're gates we enter with thanksgiving. They're gates that allow good stuff to come into the life of the church, etc. Let's take responsibility for building our lives with integrity. And then corporately, we can put those right gates up. So as we build for the future, let's remember that speed was essential, but it wasn't rushed. They did a good job. Let's make sure that we've all got a vision for what could be done and our part in it. I just sense that as people heard the news from Nehemiah, they thought, yeah, they owned it. And there's a few cases in scripture that we see where a vision was put out and people said, yeah, they owned it. A bit like when Moses needed stuff for the tabernacle. He said, this is what we need. And suddenly people saw it and they all responded. So in the end, he had to say, hang on a minute, there's too much. Let's, let's see our part in it. But what we do see from this story is that the end is never the end, it's only the start. Interestingly, in this story, they built the walls. And you'd have thought they would have been delighted and everything would be great from there on in. But a few chapters later, Nehemiah comes back, he's bit, um, he comes back to Jerusalem. And what he discovers is that a relative of Tobiah, who was one of the opposition, had given Tobiah access, his own little chamber in the temple. So the building the walls wasn't the end of the story, it was the start. And we can end up feeling satisfied, we've done it, we've got there, we've achieved it, but, and then start to let weaknesses come in. As we restart after COVID, it is the end, but it's a start. And my prayer is that increasingly as church, we will have a sense of, yeah, this is where God has put us. This is what he's put us here for. This is how we can own it and do it. Because what we want to do is be a family where we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind and strength. We love our neighbour as ourselves, And we go into the whole world, our world, and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Thank you. Um, Dave actually uh, did this all, all at the beginning of the month. This was right after my last talk, and um, so it was uh, right before, even I think, right, maybe even right after our communion Sunday. Uh, so he, he'd been sitting on it for some time, and it's, it's neat how it kind of ties in with a lot of the stuff that has already come. Um, but I, I want us to respond to that and kind of to Nehemiah in general. So I'm just going to give us a minute, if there was anything at all that jumped out um, from the talk that you want to reflect on with God, um, or if there's any, you just, you know, just ask the Lord how to pray, and then we're going to, um, we're going to get together in small groups and pray, all right, uh, for what we've heard. So, so I'm just give you a minute just to be quiet. Lord, thank you for 
Nehemiah and the lessons that we've been learning, um, but even more, your love for us, your longing and desire for us to be a people of love, filled with your love and demonstrating that to each other. Show us where the gaps are in that, Lord, where we need to grow, um, change, and be transformed by you. Um, Show us how to be better at loving one another and loving you, Lord. Um, Show us where in our own lives we need more control and more of your grace, more of your hope and more of your joy. uh, We truly desire and long to be transformed. And Lord, I pray that the lessons we learn from this would be lessons that would stick and would last. um, And that would help us as we rebuild. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.